You're listening to Blue White Gold, the latest album by Dreamers Circus. Joining me to talk about this music is violinist Rune Tonsgaard Sørensen. Rune is a member of Dreamers Circus, a folk trio made up by violin, cittern, piano, or quite frequently accordion. He is also a member of the Danish String Quartet, one of the best acclaimed quartets in the world. Between these two groups, Rune lives in both worlds of classical and folk music, really inhabiting the world between worlds where classical and folk converge. The most recent albums from the Danish String Quartet are a series called Prism, with works by composers like Bach and Beethoven and Shostakovich exploring the development of music across centuries. The Danish Quartet have also produced two of my favorite albums ever, called Woodworks and Last Leaf, albums of folk music which sounds, somehow, both brand new and as ancient as the earth. It is the sound of magic and nostalgia. The Trio Dreamers Circus have a sound really all their own, with such an eclectic range of color and timbre, perhaps well described by the word kaleidoscopic. Their music is filled with good humor and moments of piercing beauty. This is perfectly demonstrated in their latest album, Blue White Gold, and it's such a pleasure to sit down with Rune today to discuss it. I'm Justin Hall, and this is episode 19 of The Notion Club. Well, Rune, thanks so much for joining the Notion Club to talk about music, particularly your work with Dreamer Circus and the Danish String Quartet. And of course, you just put out a new album with Dreamer Circus called Blue White Gold, which I've been listening to pretty much constantly for the past few months. It's a hauntingly beautiful album. And so there's so much to talk about in it. And as I mentioned to you, it, it would also be great to talk about sort of the, I guess, the contrast, you could say, between classical music and folk music. But first, maybe you could just give us some background uh, of yourself with music. How did you first come to discover music, both classical and folk? And then I guess, how did you find musical companionship with both Danish Quartet and Dreamer Circus? You want the short or the long version? (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Yeah, either one. (laughs) Either one. Well, so I guess that most kids are very influenced by their parents. And this was also the case for me. My mother is Danish. My father is from the Faroe Islands. None of them are musicians, but um, my father, he moved to Denmark in his early 30s, I think, to teach fairies traditional dance and uh, there he met my mom and uh, they started dancing and singing these old traditional ballads from from the fair islands during that time in roskilde the city where i grew up um, the folk music was very much alive and um, people really started digging into the the tradition of of uh, of the folk music in in Denmark and uh, until then it you know th- there was hardly any people playing 
folk music in Denmark until late 70s and, and, and the 80s. And Roskilde was one of the areas, one of the cities where the music was flourishing, really. So I grew up in a city with, with a lot of folk music and my parents, they, um, they brought me to all these events, you know, dance evenings and uh, like this, um, I don't know the English words, but, but we do have something called it's Spillemannstævne, which is basically just like a, a camp or an event, a session, a festival of folk music. And I was, as a little boy, I got a, a violin and uh, joined all all the uh, all the people at, at these events and tried to play with them and uh, of course i had some friends uh, at my own age who also played the violin and i think that was an important factor for me uh, doing this um, because i could play with other people because mm. i strongly believe that uh, music is is a very social thing um, and if I didn't have any companions, any colleagues, any friends to play with, I don't think I would have been a musician today. Mm. If it was, if it was only me practicing and alone in a <laughs> in a practicing room, I I couldn't live with that. I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the social aspect is really important, and the folk music is great for that. It's very uh, inclusive. Um, everybody can can join, no matter what level you're on, uh, what age you have. So I like that a lot about the folk music. So I was joining as a little kid, and then I started also learning classical music via the Suzuki method. Mm. I got a teacher here in Denmark and uh, started playing classical music. And I did that, I think, for five years. And then I was around maybe in my early teens when I met the guys from the quartet. And we met at a summer camp in Denmark, in the countryside, a place called Eskol, uh, a school where every year, uh, one week in the late summer, there's uh, there's a camp for amateur musicians of all ages. Um, I think it's three or four hundred people there. And we met uh, at the summer camp and quickly we established some kind of relationship, both personally um, and also musically started playing together we were going to the uh, little library and you know bringing a lot of music to a room and then we just started side reading basically so it was very much uh, focused on doing it for the love of music and for the fun of playing together Mm -hmm. Um, we didn't have any long-term plan at all at the time Uh, it was not like a project now we need to establish a professional string quartet it was more like you know we're good friends and it's nice to hang out and and so we did uh, also uh, outside this summer camp we started hanging out more in in uh, in Copenhagen where three of us lived at the time we had like these uh, evenings uh, parties you know having our first beers together and <laughs> just playing music uh, and it was awesome it was just a celebration of friendship and music and being together and um, then, yeah, it developed uh, and we started getting some lessons from uh, the chamber music professor in, in Copenhagen, uh, Mr. Tim Frederiksen. And after that, you know, that motivated us a lot because we suddenly we got some concerts and we, we felt that what we did was something that people liked. We, we got some, you know, good experiences uh, on stage, mm. which was very important, I think, and invaluable experience, of course. So it just went from one step to the other and um, 
suddenly we found ourselves in some competitions and and we're lucky to to do well in those um, and all of a sudden we we had a professional string quartet and that was you know while we were still studying at the academy of music so at some point actually we decided to take one year off uh, in the string quartet uh, to focus on individual studies and during that year we we got a new cellist which is the the cellist we're playing with now um, a norwegian guy called frederick yeah so we've been together for 20 years now and mm. for dreamers circus it's we we met each other also at a, a festival in copenhagen basically in a jam session. I knew Ale a little bit, the Citroen player uh, from before, because I went to a lot of courses in uh, southern Sweden where his parents were teaching uh, folk music for kids. So I, I knew him from very early age. And then I think 10 years passed or something like that. And I met him again in this uh, at a festival in Denmark. And he brought this new instrument of his, you know, this Citroen, and he just... <laughs> He was so awesome, you know, and I totally, I, I was just blown away by his playing. He was playing the violin before, by the way. Hmm. Uh, but this new instrument was just so fantastic. So we decided first to form a little duo and I went to Stockholm where he was uh, studying at the time and we recorded some of his compositions. Um, hmm. And the year after we went to this festival in Copenhagen and we were jamming in a dark room in the basement <laughs> at like 2 a.m. or something like that. It was really late. And suddenly Nikolai, the pianist, enters the room and goes to the piano and he asked if he if he could join. And yeah, sure, of course you can join. And, <laughs> you know, and then we played for three more hours or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And on the way home, um, you know, we just decided, you know, let's let's make a trio instead of a duo. And uh, that was the, the birth of Dreamer Circus. And since then, I remember actually it was quite funny because I remember saying to them in the beginning that the quartet was for me the main priority. Uh, it remains to be um, today. Um, but I said to them that I probably wouldn't have so much time to, to play with Dreamer Circus because I was also the concertmaster of Copenhagen Phil at the time, and mm. I was teaching a little bit, so so I didn't really have that much time. But then things started to develop, and I quit the orchestra, and and now this is my two main things that I do: uh, uh, quartet and and Dreamer Circus. That was mm. sort of the long story. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't Danish string quartet that's an inherited name? It is, yes, correct. So our teacher Tim Fredriksen, his grandfather started the first Danish string quartet hmm. or Danish quartet it was called because it was actually a a flute quartet it was not hmm. a pure string quartet but then his son again Knud Frederiksen uh, took over the name uh, that was a string quartet and then again our teacher who was Knud's son uh, had the third generation and all of these quartets did really well internationally and, and Tim our teacher he didn't have uh, any kids who played stringed instruments he has a daughter, but she plays the piano. And his quartet stopped stopped playing in the 90s. So uh, the name was up for grabs, and we uh, we kindly asked him if if we um, could use the name, and and he said yes, you you can take the name, and uh, <laughs> that was a, sort of a milestone for us. I think we had a lot of respect for that name because, as you said, it was an inherent name, and it had a lot of history and stuff. And it's you know just the nature of the name signal something you know uh mm. the danish string quartet you know mm. it's you have some responsibility with that name i guess yeah, for sure so, uh, yeah 
So you mentioned your dad teaching traditional dances and the folk music that I imagine would have gone along with those. Are there any of those original tunes that you heard in your childhood that have made it on to albums with either Danish Quartet or, or Dreamer Circus? Yes, for sure. Recently, I understood how fascinating the f- fairies music actually is because these melodies are super old. They are really mm. magical. Um and has this very exotic sound, I think, uh, that you don't find anywhere else. So yes, uh, for sure. Actually, on on Blue White Gold, the latest Dreamers album, there's a there's a tune called Brestis Kvaya, which is a traditional fairies melody. my parents singing that particular uh, song though but the melody is just amazing and I think there's much more to explore uh, from 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 this tradition um, and I I'm sure it's gonna be something that I, I would like to do uh, more in the future also trying to dig dig in this tradition and, and see uh, what else we can find of tunes from there hmm. so it seems to me to be a fascinating cross-section between folk music and classical music because you know i can't really think of any other groups that bring all of the principles and techniques of classical music to folk music so with both danish string quartet and dreamer circus you bring all of the precision and attention to detail that you would to beethoven or debussy Mm. for example to these folk tunes both in your performance of them but also in your arrangements So, for example, using great voice leading. Mm. And I think partly because of this, your music has such a compelling appeal to both classical musicians as well as non-musicians. So I have a lot of friends who are not classical musicians and, you know, they probably wouldn't listen to, you know, Bartok string quartets, for example. Right. But they find Last Leaf and Woodworks and Dreamer Circus just completely compelling. And then I have colleagues who are professional chamber musicians, mm-hmm. and they also find your folk music compelling and enthralling, and they actually play it themselves all the time. <laughs> That's so nice. So what has been your approach to folk music and classical music? Mm. What's been your process mm. with them? How have they converged and how have they been different? Mm. So for example, when rehearsing a Beethoven quartet, in my experience, it's a very detailed oriented process so you know talking about 
what does this Fort Sando need or mm. uh, what does this carrot marking mean or what is the character of this motive and how does mm. that change as the motive transforms over time? You know, in contrast to what I imagine would be a much freer process of composing and arranging folk tunes with both Danish and dreamers. So what has been your process and your experience with these genres? Mm, well, first of all, thank you. I'm, I'm glad that, uh, to hear uh, that people are enjoying the music. That's that's always nice. Well, it's a good question. I I think that it has just come very naturally um, because we love both genres, first of all. And uh, since I grew up with the folk music, I wanted to introduce it to the quartet. And we started just arranging a few pieces to play them as encores for concerts. By the way, Frederick the cellist also uh, listened a lot to folk music in, when he was a teenager, and his dad had a huge collection of albums with Celtic music and 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 bands from over there, especially. So I think it simply comes out of a love to to the folk music, and after you know experiencing how people reacted to these first arrangements, I think we just figured well. Maybe there's something to uh, to try out here. So what we did was we just started arranging more and more music and decided to record them. And that became our first album, Woodworks, uh, back in 2014. And the reception of that album was more than we would ever have hoped for. And of course, that was a very motivating thing for us. I think that we we all bring something to the table in the process. We found out that the easiest thing was if one or two, uh, mainly uh, Frederick the cellist and, and I, did the groundwork of, of the arranging. And then we would bring it to the group, we were trying it out, then we adjust little things, of course, together. But we still bring the same attention to detail, I think, to, to the performances and how we play the music. And of course, through the experience we have from the classical music, you talked about Beethoven, you know, talking about character and little phrases here and there. It's exactly the same things we're, we're talking about in the folk music. You can say that these melodies are often quite simple. It's, it's often just an A and a B part, 16 bars. So first of all, it's really important how you arrange these pieces and, and how do you make them work on a concert scene or stage? Because the music was not intended for that purpose. So we need to try and create arrangements that are interesting to listen to uh, at a concert. And then secondly, of course, also how we perform these arrangements. And, you know, we have been playing together for so many years in, in the string quartet. So we, we know what sounds good and, and what works. And these simple melodies, it's, I think it's all about finding the character of the tune, the soul of the melody and trying to figure out what kind of story does this little tune wants to tell us. And that applies to both how we arrange it and how we perform it. Hmm. So in many ways, I don't think there's a huge difference in how we approach Beethoven to a, a little polka from Denmark, uh, hmm. because we treat it with the same amount of respect. Um, and that, I think that's the key. So is arranging the folk music, is that a, a collaborative process or is that something that you each do individually? And is that different with Danish Quartet versus Dreamer Circus? Yeah, that is that is uh, a quite big difference because it's much easier for Dreamer Circus to jam our way to a final result. 
mm-hmm. uh, because we have chord instruments like the piano, accordion, guitar, mm-hmm. and we grew up with that sort of way of jamming music. Whereas in a string quartet, you need to be a little bit more, I think you need to think a little bit about how you voice the, the different parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's when you don't have any particular chord instruments, you need to be a little bit more thorough in, in, in your arranging and put a little bit more effort into what does each part uh, do and play to make it sound good in the end. So there's a, there's a quite big difference in the, in the process there. Um, so in the quartet, as I mentioned, it, it's easier for us if one brain takes the, the big decisions and make like the skeleton uh, of our, an arrangement, mm. um, some, some chords, some voicings, uh, form a structure, and then it's minor little details that we can change when we are together. Whereas with dreamers, you know, somebody can bring, hey, listen to this this tune I, I just wrote. And then we just try to play it in, in, in three different ways, you know, and, you know, play our, our way to a, to, a, to a result in a way. So in Blue, White, Gold, one of the most fascinating pieces is Pintomime, mm-hmm. because there yeah. seems to be so many different influences of style. So, of course, there's obviously the traditional uh, folk influence, Mm -hmm. but then there's definitely jazz. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then later on in the piece, uh, there are moments that sound to me like Debussy or Ravel. So what were the ideas behind this piece? Well, that, that was actually, um, that was a piece Nikolai wrote. And that was one of the pieces that were, you know, I think he asked Ale to play a pattern on his ukulele at, at some point. And Ale just improvised like a pattern of, of four chords, I think. Mm. And then we put it to the Dropbox folder. Nikolai was listening to this and then he created the whole middle part, which is this like a pentatonic sort of part in the middle. But the main sort of motive, the main uh, theme, if you want, the beginning of the tune and the end, and also the end, he was, you know, he, he was writing that quite detailed. So it was more or less finished actually when when he played it to us, and so we just needed to figure out, uh, you know, our roles in mm-hmm. in that composition. So that that's one of the pieces that were, yeah, more or less finished actually um, when he when he presented it to us and because it just worked so well we didn't want to change anything um, but you're right I mean it's to me it also sounds like you know 19th century uh, mm-hmm. Paris uh, yeah, right. you know like it has this sort of naive kind of uh, puppet theater sound to it almost you know um, 
but definitely a lot of different influences. Um, so is that something you do consciously bringing in these or is it developing organically from jam sessions? Yeah, I, most of it is developing it uh, yeah. organically, I, yeah. I would say. Yeah, there is also another tune called uh, City Gardens, which was like a <laughs> it was basically made like um, everybody put their ideas on the table. Ali, he made like, again, this pattern uh, on his instrument, the Citroen, put it to the Dropbox. Nikolai, he wrote a melody on top of that pattern. Uh, I had an idea for, for an intro with some, what's that called? Not an octave, but uh, decim, you know, uh, in the violin that, that I thought sounded really amazing. Uh, and I introduced that idea and then the others joined that and then the melody. And so it was like very collaborative. Everybody brought their ideas to the table and suddenly we had a tune. <laughs> One piece from a previous album, Prelude to the Sun, is a really interesting example of the, the cross section between Baroque sure. in this case, and because it's box partita yeah. number three, and then yeah. you sort of reinterpret the harmonies underneath it. Mm -hmm. So was that something that was also improvised for fun? No, one day or? no, 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 that was actually not so improvised. The story behind that is that uh, I was uh, awarded a prize actually from uh, from the Danish Crown Prince couple. And this prize was given with the motivation of, you know, actually mixing the two genres for music and classical. So I wanted mm. to present something to them that showcased that. And um I've always been very much in love with Bach's music and I thought maybe this E major partita would would actually sound good with with the boys accompanying. So I actually made an arrangement and uh, we practiced that. Of course we made again some adjustments, but I made the the core arrangement. And it was if we felt somehow that it was a little bit dangerous because the music is already <laughs> it's you know the music is already perfect. Right. So, you know, why even do this? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's already perfect from Bach's hand. And do we need at all more instruments? Probably not. <laughs> but uh, we decided to go ahead and do it anyway. Also, maybe to show that I think most classical musicians were very inspired by folk music. I'm sure mm -hmm. Bach also heard some mm -hmm. folk music in his life, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, many, many, many others. So maybe it's not so dangerous after all uh, right. to give your yeah. own personal to create your personal way of, of of playing playing this music but yeah so we went down to sydney it was in sydney opera house and we played the tune <laughs> and that since then it has been like one of the tunes that we played the most i think <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah well i mean you know when you when you mentioned um your father teaching dances the the first thing that i thought of was you know the bach cello suites because it's all dance forms so right, you know, right. I, I think it's completely appropriate and i and i think it, it's just a great tribute to bach you know yeah 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 yeah. that's totally what it is because uh, we didn't want to destroy anything we just hope that we could right. add a, per a personal kind of touch to to his already perfect music <laughs> yeah, right so talking about your approach and process with these groups, how do you divide group responsibilities among each other and the groups, both Danish and Dreamers? Uh, what's the dynamic between each of you? Uh, and, th and this could be both musically and uh, also outside of rehearsal time. I think that most string quartets nowadays works as a modern democracy. So when we mm -hmm. practice together and musical decisions are of course taken together and and um, you know since we've been playing together for 
for 20 years. We know each other so well. We have we have a very good relation, both personally and and musically. Um, so that's that. We know how to work together. Uh, we've found a way, I guess. And then there's the more business-oriented part of <laughs> of the deal. And of course, you know, we we have different roles, uh, and I think that is the best way of doing things because everybody has their strengths and their weaknesses, um, which we try to utilize and use the best way. And Ashbjorn, he is uh, the mastermind, I would uh, call him, uh, the viola player, because he's just incredible at, you know, thinking big lines and, you know, future. He's in charge of all the repertoire planning. Mm and all the calendar stuff, which is extremely time consuming. And then Frederick and I, the cellist and I, we, we do a lot of arranging and and uh, and Frederick, he, uh, he has like uh, a lot of things with the finances and stuff. It's it's a funny mix because you actually, as in a string quartet, you mostly want to just think about making music and mm-hmm. making art and, and creating beautiful music and great performances. But it is a business as well. And right. this is what we do and mm-hmm. we have to make money. And, you know, the, the environment is constantly changing. You know, we don't make any money selling CDs anymore, hardly, uh, as they did in the 80s and 90s. So it's it's busy and you need to just play a lot of concerts. You know, life on the road, that's how, how we make our money mostly. Uh, but now actually it's interesting because during Corona, Everything turned upside down, and yeah, everything right. got <laughs> everything got yeah. cancelled yeah, yeah. for everyone, uh, and it and it affects all parts of the of the food chain. Uh, not only us, but management, uh, promoters, whatever you know, mm-hmm. is affected by this. Uh, and I think it's a time for getting new ideas and thinking a little bit outside the box. And that's what we are trying to do now: trying to look into the future and see how could that look, and could we do something that secures us now if a situation like this should happen again or if one of us suddenly cannot play or Mm. let's see you know but but um, i think it's important to try constantly to to think about new ideas and and creative projects so that's that's the time for that now i guess (laughs) yeah right i was well i was going to ask about quarantine so there's a there's a piece in blue white gold called the world was waiting (laughs) which yeah i think is a a pretty fitting uh nod to (laughs) this past season
so what's been your experience in all of this? I mean, I know all of my colleagues and, and my own plans have been just completely, sh- you know, all festivals mm, and performances. Right, and, right. and I know a lot of people are doing live streams or recorded concerts. So so mm. how is how have things changed and, and what are you anticipating looking forward? Um, yeah, the the immediate future doesn't look super bright. Uh, I think we have a November tour in the US with the quartet that um, probably not gonna happen. Uh, we have a tour in February that we are already talking a little bit about. So it's very uncertain, everything. And of course it impacts us. Um, but on the other hand, if you want to try to take something away from this and mm. try to think positively, I think it's possible because in Dreamer Circus, we just managed to, to get home from the US before everything just shut down, basically. Mm. Uh, we had two concerts cancel in our March tour, and we managed to get one of the last flights home <laughs> to Copenhagen. It was <laughs> it was right on the right on the limit. But then after that, we actually spent quite a lot of time optimizing everything around our band and infrastructure and you know websites. Of course, we had the new album release. Mm. decided to do a stream of the release instead of a normal release event, which was not possible, of course. But this stream turned out to be great. Uh, we had you know, more viewers than we would ever fit into a, a single room in Copenhagen. So in that way, this, the streaming part is great because you can reach a much bigger crowd and audience. We talked about that. I think you have to look at stream concerts as its own thing. Because if you just try to go and play a normal concert, I'm not so sure that works so well. Mm. But if you consider it a different medium, I think it can work and it can be an alternative that we might explore further in the future. It's more like a jam session where you're having a good time around a fireplace or a, mm. you know, a table and you can interact with people in the, the comments and stuff like that. Mm. But it's, it's never, gonna take over of course uh, real concerts that was just emphasized last week where we did our f- first festival and concerts in mm. in many many months and it was so nice to play play for <laughs> for a real audience again mm-hmm. oh my god yeah i <laughs> i have to admit and just meeting other people as well you know meeting right. other musicians yeah. and and playing quintets or sextets or whatever mm. it was oh my god figure out how much we missed that so yeah, right um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's no substitute for that. Right. Um, th- I think quarantine has become kind of an oddly productive time, especially well, especially for recording artists. Yeah. Um like I started this podcast cuz I didn't have any performances to do. Yeah, so, you know, that's great. So uh, have you been able to work on any new arranging projects or folk music like with Danish? Is there anything upcoming? Well, actually um <laughs> in the end of last year I I was actually very stupid to say yes to a um, rather big project composing and writing music for a TV series here in Denmark. Mm. And at the time, I, you know, I, it was it was an offer that I couldn't refuse because it was too good. Mm. But I actually didn't have the time for it. <laughs> and then everything got cancelled, and right. yeah. suddenly I had time for it. <laughs> uh, it was it was really crazy. So I have been spending quite a lot of time on that, and that is just now I'm I'm finishing the last two episodes now, and so that has been my my saving grace, I think. Um, mm. But it's also tricky, you know, for the groups because mm. suddenly mm. all uh, kindergartens, everything just shut down, and 
you know now there's five kids in the quartet and 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 five in dreamer circus as well so uh, there was a lot of child care there that needed to <laughs> to be <laughs> done at ho- and homeschooling and everything so uh, yeah. so right in that lockdown period we didn't actually have that much time but i think looking into the next couple of months we will for sure have some meetings and and trying to we will try to develop some new projects mm. and consider this time that we actually got suddenly to be a gift because you know when you're just touring all the time it mm. can be hard to you know for your brain to <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to sure. compute compute yep. everything yeah. and um, I think it's everything is going to be fine and for sure we will we'll have some upcoming albums and and ideas in the future so for the score for the television show is that mm. orchestra or is that also a chamber group it's it's very string based um, so I did most of it myself <laughs> it was quite fun because in the beginning I only had my violin here at home and mm-hmm. I started you know just improvising some themes and motives and atmospheres ideas and they didn't really like that so much and they, they wanted something deeper and uh, they were thinking more like cello bass because it's a quite dark series it's a mm-hmm. it's a it's a crime series and then I borrowed a cello <laughs> from a friend actually and you know tried to play play that a little bit actually it ended up being quite based on 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 cello um mm. cello bass um and when it needed to be a good cellist of course i hired uh, a professional uh, the principal from from the radio orchestra to do the most important solos and also a bass player called morton he joined me so it's a mix of acoustic instruments and of course samples uh, waterphones and and different kind of cool samples I found online. Mm. But it's still a very new thing for me. I only did one film before, so so mm. I'm still in learning phase. Um, and I definitely can take a lot away from this experience. So it's mm. been super nice. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Well, I, I definitely approve of uh, cello-dominated music. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I totally love it. I wish I could play it better. But, and I actually did practice quite a bit. <laughs> so uh, H- Had yeah. you played cello before or...? No, no. Okay. No. But, I mean, the the right hand is sort of okay. I think it's mm-hmm. a little bit tricky on the A string to get the arm where it where it needs to be. But the fingerings, like the left left hand fingerings, are of course the biggest problem because it's so different from the right. Violin. It's so different. I started yeah. with violin and then had to had to quit because it was <laughs> conflicting too much. Right. Well, thanks so much for doing an interview. It was so great to hear about your experience with with both groups, and sure. I'm really eager to. See see what comes of both of them yeah, and yeah in the meantime i'm really enjoying blue white gold and i always go back to last leaf and woodworks they're <laughs> they've become actually kind of nostalgic already <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you so much that's very kind of you thanks so much for your work and sure, really eager to see you. what comes thank you justin thank you for your time and thank you for having me on on mm-hmm. your show Thank you.